Lord, we pray that your grace may always precede and follow us, that we may be continually given to good works through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. That's the collect appointed for today, Sunday, October the 9th, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. I appreciate it very much. We've had a good week over here this week. We had a lot of stuff going on, though. My uh, wife, Suzanne's sister, uh, had to have some surgery this week, sort of emergency surgery, um, something had been misdiagnosed for a year, and then they finally got it diagnosed correctly, and a, a fair bit of damage had been done. Well, at the same time that she's kind of trying to sort through all this and get to the right appointments to the right doctors to get it diagnosed correctly, her husband, was uh, my brother-in-law, was asked uh, by another friend who had had a flat tire, would he help her? And he said, sure, and it was at night, so she said, "Just let's just do it in the morning when it's daylight. So he went out to his garage to get some stuff, tripped over something, fell, uh, busted his nose, uh, two black eyes, and um, cracked all his ribs on one side. Um, just awful stuff. <clears throat> so... You know, we so we're praying for them. So pre, please keep Patricia and Steve in your prayers. We um, had a great week. <laughs> we did a lot of hiking and uh, went out to a place called Twin Falls out in Pisgah Forest, which is near Brevard, and did seven miles one day. Didn't see the falls, so we went back the next day, and um, not the next day, but a couple of days later, and uh, found the falls, which is a hundred yards off the trail we had been on. Just didn't see it. So anyway, we had a great, great couple of days of hiking. And so, you know, I'm preaching tomorrow. I'm taping this on Saturday. Um, I'm preaching tomorrow morning uh, for a friend out in Waynesville, North Carolina, and looking forward to being with that congregation. Never met them, never been there before, but looking forward to being with them. So anyway, got got a few things going on and, and have to be careful, a little more careful with the congregation, right? Because I, I got to I got to keep myself in check a little bit. So don't, don't be so glib as I might otherwise be so anyway it's a um it's been a good week um, but like i said please keep patricia and steve in mind if you have any prayer requests please go to the um faith seeking understanding page on um facebook and and let me know there and i'll i'll be praying for whatever it is you need prayer for so today we're going to talk about a, a, a concept that's an anthropological concept that um, first appeared, I don't know, well, actually a little bit over 100 years ago and then kind of got refreshed about 40 or 50 years later. And it's called liminality, and liminality, L-I-M-I-N-A-L-I-T-Y. And so what it means in anthropology is it comes from the Latin word limen, which means threshold. So it's this ambiguity or disorientation is the word that I really prefer that occurs in the in the middle of a rite of passage or a change from one state to another. So for instance, if you lost your job for whatever reason, if you retired or whatever, there's a series or, or a period of time that when, when you don't have anything and, and you are disoriented because the things by which you oriented yourself have now no, are no longer available to you. And so what your desire is, is to go back to the old normal. But the, the reality is you can't go there. You can't get to that. So this, this process in between the old normal and the new normal is the period that's called liminality. So we haven't become, become who we will be yet. And it's true of us as Christians. Who we are isn't who we will be. We're, we're being transformed into the image of Christ by the renewing of our mind. 
uh, we are our real selves will be revealed later not in this life fully we're now in this world what Stanley Hauerwas called resonant aliens and that's based on the idea in Hebrews 1 13 and 14 that is these the, the heroes of the faith all died in faith not having received the things promised but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear they're seeking a homeland. In other words, they haven't found one. And so that's the concept that I want to talk about today, because we're all in that space. I don't know if you're aware of this, but we are all in a liminal space. Who we are isn't who we will be. We, we have one foot in the kingdom of God, but, but one foot in earth. So that we are always, as soon as, when we're always, period, end of sentence, as humans in a liminal space. But when you accepted Jesus, you were transferred from a kingdom of darkness, Paul says, into the kingdom of his glorious Son. And so we are in the process of becoming what we will be, but we're not there yet. So all of our life here is liminal. It's moving towards becoming who we will be, which we won't fully achieve until we leave this earth. And it's important that we recognize that. And it's become more important over the last couple of years. I mean, one of the things that we should constantly be thinking about is Proverbs 27.1, don't boast about tomorrow for you don't know what a day may bring. So you don't know what's going to disrupt your plans. And so what we're told is you're in a liminal existence. Don't get too comfortable. Don't get too comfortable where you are. But because things will change. And that's the parable Jesus tells of the, uh, the, 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 the man who planted crops, had abundance of crops, and then said to himself, I'm going to build bigger barns, and my soul will be at rest because I have all that I need. And, and Jesus says, fool, you have no earthly idea what tomorrow will bring to you. Maybe that today your life will be demanded of you. If you take your ease and take your comfort and take your rest in material things, well, that's not going to serve you well in the future. And so what we do is we get comfortable because we need it and we like it. And then when things get turned upside down on us, we don't know how to handle them. We're not prepared for that. In spite of the fact that the story of Scripture from beginning to end tells us that's exactly the kind of world we live in, a world of our own making. We serve a God who took chaos and created order and then put us into it and caused chaos. And so when we, when we think about life, though, we think about a return and a need for a certain kind of normalcy in our lives, a certain predictability and stability that, that everything tells us isn't there. But we, we need, at some deep emotional level, we need the, the illusion of that stability. And, and what I'm telling you is, is that's, a, that's actually a bad way to live. We need actually to be realists. Christians need to be complete realists with respect to this world and our life in it. In the first lesson today is from Jeremiah 29, verse 1, and then verses 4 to 7. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So Jeremiah is writing from Jerusalem to the exiles that are in Babylon. And he, he begins with the word of the Lord. He says, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, 
So verse 1 says, Nebuchadnezzar had taken them into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Here God says, I sent you into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So what he's saying is, it should be really comforting, because what he's saying is, I'm in charge of this. Nebuchadnezzar's not. Nebuchadnezzar is an instrument of my will. That's it. Period. End of sentence. Whether he intended to be or not, it's a totally different situation. My will is being done. You're there because I sent you there. Rest in that knowledge that I'm in charge. <clears throat> and then he goes on to tell them what they should do. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your son and give your daughters in marriage. So, I mean, it's one thing to say you're to take wives and have sons and daughters. And then another to say, then take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage. Because what he's saying is, this isn't going to be a one-generation thing. Settle in. Settle in. It's a good thing to know that. It's it's, um, uncomfortable to know that. Because we all want this phase to pass quickly, right? I mean, that's what Viktor Frankl explained in, in his book, Man's Search for Meaning. He, his experience and, and his um, reflection on life in a concentration camp told him that if somebody has a why to live for, then they can deal with almost any how. He said the people that suffered the most were those who would get their hopes up for deliverance at, you know, some specific point in time. And then those hopes would be dashed again and again and again. And so he says, no, you have to have a why to live. And if you have the why, he said, you can put up with almost any how. And so here God's told him, you're going to be there a while. And what did he tell him to do? He told him to do very, quote, normal things. Build houses, plant gardens, take wives. And he goes on to finish this with, but seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Well, who else says things like that? Paul. Paul says exactly that. He says, pray for the leadership. Pray for the civic leadership that they'll that, that, that then you'll be able to have peaceable lives. And that's exactly what God says here. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. But what I had missed one little piece. So when he says, take wives for your sons, give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there and don't decrease. But, but what he's saying is stay together, stay in my word, stay in my commandments, continue to live normal lives in exile, and don't decrease but then seek the welfare of the city where you are. In other words, he's not saying become one of them. He says, seek the welfare of the city where I sent you into exile. You're in exile. That is your identity. You're in exile. This is not your home. And and when I went to Rwanda, um, I had a driver for the three months that I was there in 2000. And and I asked Fred, when did you come? He was a young man. I said, when did you come back to Rwanda? And it was like six weeks after the end of the genocide. It would have still been incredibly dangerous for him to be there at that time. I said, so why did you come back? He said, this is my homeland. I said, have you ever been here before? He said, no. He, he had the mind, like many Rwandese did, that they were exiles wherever they were. Even if they were born there, they considered themselves to be exiles and they wanted to come back. I've seen this in real time, what it looks like to see exiles come home and to see what an exile's mentality is. And that is they were always exiles. But, but it's interesting because God says here, do normal things, right? So build houses, plant gardens, marry and get married, have kids, do normal things. But the reality is these things aren't mundane. 
simply because they're normal. These normal things that he mentions here are very particular things, actually, and they're so normal and so necessary that they can't be disrupted casually. They're so important they can't even be disrupted in times of war. And how, why do I say that? Well, if you go to Deuteronomy 20, 1 to 8, what you'll see is, is that when they're given instructions about when they're to go into battle, when you go to war against your enemies, you see horses and chariots and an army larger than your own, you don't be afraid of them. For the Lord your God is with you who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. It's not counting on you to get this job done. And then when you draw near, the priest is going to come forward and he's going to say, Hear, O Israel, today you're drawing near to battle against your enemies. Let not your heart faint. Don't fear or be in panic or dread of them, for the Lord your God is, is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you the victory. And then, after the priest admonishes them not to be afraid, the officers then speak to the people and they ask them several questions. Has anybody here built a new house and not yet dedicated it? And if you raise your hand, he says, you go home, lest you die in battle and another man dedicate it. Is there anybody here who planted a vineyard and hasn't enjoyed its pr- fruit? Okay, let him go home too, lest he die in battle and another man enjoy its fruit. Is there anybody here who was betrothed to wife and not yet taken her? So you engaged. All right, let him go back to his house, lest he die in battle and another man take her. And then they're supposed to ask one final question. Is there anybody here who's afraid or faint-hearted? Because if you are, you need to go home, lest he make the heart of his fellows melt like his own. Exactly what happened with the spies who went into the land and came back afraid. Only Caleb and Joshua were there to take the the position of the Lord and willing to go and enter the land. And so these other guys made everybody else afraid. So it's it's a contagion. Fear is contagious. And if we know anything in the last two and a half years, we know that fear is contagious. And so here what you get in this passage from Jeremiah is is God telling them to do those kinds of things, exactly the same kinds of things that'll get you exempted from military service for a season of time. If you've invested in these things, you should enjoy them. And he's saying, invest in these things. You're going to have the enjoyment of them. You're not going to quickly be taken away from the place where you are. And it's important for them to know that, but they but what they're told is do normal things. Do normal things. But those normal things are important. Don't decrease. Don't sit in your misery and don't be depressed. No. Have children. Increase. And stay in the word of the Lord. And then in the, in the gospel today, it's an interesting passage. It's, it's Luke 17, verses 11 to 19. On the way to Jerusalem, so Jesus is going to Jerusalem. He's passing between Samaria and Galilee. And, and we know that passage well because we see him there in John 4. So he's not in Samaria. He's going from Galilee to Jerusalem, and he's not, this time it seems, going to Samaria. But he's, he's between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up, the, because they had to, and lifted up their voice saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So they're at a distance, and Jesus says to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. Well, a healed leper, whose leprosy was gone, went to the priest, and the priest inspected him very carefully to make sure that the, all signs of leprosy were gone, and then he gave him gave that, that, that leper a job to do, and that's to go and make a sacrifice. And it's a sin offering, particularly. It's not a, a, a peace offering, which celebrated peace, didn't make peace. It celebrated the peace between God and man. No, he has to make a sin offering, 
And so here, that's what Jesus says. Go show yourselves to the priests. Now, in other places, when he heals, he touches and somebody's healed. Here, he just speaks it at a distance. And they went, and as they went, they were cleansed. So they were made whole. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet. Where he was before, he was from a distance. Now he's at Jesus' feet because he's cleansed. So he, he no longer has to observe the social distancing necessary for lepers. So he, he falls at his feet and gives thanks. And then we're told he's a Samaritan. Ah, we may have a good reason here for why he's here. Then Jesus answered, we're not ten cleansed. Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? So Jesus treats him like a foreigner, like, like an outsider to the covenant. And he said to him, rise and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. Well, so who is this guy and why is he the only one who comes back? Well, if you think about this, what you need to know is Jews and Samaritans hated one another. Absolutely. They wouldn't drink from the same cups. They wouldn't eat from the same things. You had to, you had to destroy anything that a Samaritan touched or ate from. They hated each other. The Samaritans believed that they were the true Judaism and that the, the temple in Jerusalem was an abomination. There are stories told in history of them doing things to desecrate the temple simply because they didn't believe it was God's and they didn't want people to worship a false god in a false place. And so, I mean, it was bad. The enmity between these two people's groups was amazing. Well, up until this moment, it hadn't mattered to these ten lepers. You see, they were outside of their community. They weren't allowed to be back in their community because they had leprosy. So they had to keep it a distance from everybody. They couldn't go to the temple. They couldn't go to the synagogue. They couldn't go anywhere where other people might be because they would contaminate them. They would make them unclean. In fact, they, not only that, they had to yell, unclean, unclean, if anybody started to come near them. And so here, though, what you got is 10 guys who are hanging out together. They have a, a community What's the basis of their community? The, the basis of their community is they, they're not allowed in any other community. And the basis of their community is their identity as lepers. Well, once they're no longer lepers, the Samaritan doesn't fit in that community. He can't go to Jerusalem and show himself to the priest. He's not welcome there. He would defile the temple in their eyes if he came and went to the priests. So he comes back because he has nowhere else to go. And Jesus is between Samaria and Galilee. So we don't know how far he got, but somewhere along the way, as soon as they got cleansed, that community was broken. Because, well, and, and then why is he the only one who comes back? Well, because the others wanted one thing from their healing. They wanted to be restored to the community they were in. They wanted to go back to the old normal. That They had been in a liminal state. And, and now they wanted to go back to the community they were familiar with. They wanted to go back to normal. And that's all that they could imagine. And so this guy says, well, that's not normal for me because I don't belong there. I know he, he's no longer a, a member of that community. He's an outsider from the community of, of people that he had been with for whatever period of time he had been with them. So now he's an outsider and he's got to go back. He's got to go back to Samaria, but he comes to Jesus first because of the location of where they are. And he gives thanks to Jesus for healing him because he too will be restored to his community, but he's the only one who gave thanks to Jesus for that healing. And it's this, this liminality principle applies in all this. And everything about 
God's people shows there in liminal state. So we, we see in the uh, Exodus, for instance, they come out of Egypt and, and they're first happy to be out of Egypt. And then they meet some difficulties along the way. There's no water. There's no food. And then now they're upset. And what do they want? Oh, oh, my gosh. They're romanticizing it. Right. Oh, my gosh. Remember how great it, we had it in Egypt? We had the leeks, we had the fish, we had the cucumbers, we had all this stuff. It was wonderful in Egypt. It stinks to be out here. Really? You cried out to the Lord and asked him to deliver you because you were slaves in Egypt. But but we can do this, right? When we're in that liminal phase, we want to go back to where we were because, well, that's familiar. And so we romanticize it no matter how bad it was. We're able to romanticize it because we're going to put behind all that other stuff that was so painful to us. And we can romanticize the future as well. Oh, it'll be so much better when I get to the next place. And so, so if we don't like the present, we romanticize the future, right? <laughs> and, and that's exactly, we, we've got those two options available to us. And so here in, in the Exodus, you see that very same thing. You see that, that they want to go back to the old normal. And then they're afraid to go into the new normal. They've seen God do amazing things, but they don't believe or trust him that he'll take them into that new one. They, they for whatever reason, don't trust God. And we see the same idea of this, that they're, they're plunged, well, when Moses is up on the mountain meeting with God for 40 days, they're plunged into a new liminal experience. And he didn't come back in time. And this goes back to that Frankel thing, you know, people who developed an idea that we're going to be delivered by, I mean, Christmas is the wrong term to use for that because these were Jewish people I'm talking about. But anyway, that, that so if you develop an expectation that something's going to change by a certain date, then your disappointment then can, can sometimes drive you to a place where you're going to take matters into your own hands and do something absolutely stupid. And so what did they do when Moses didn't come back when they expected him? Well, they, they demanded that Aaron make them gods. What an interesting thought. A man is going to make gods, and he does. He says, give me your earrings and stuff. Um, give me all your gold, and I'll do something. And then it's, we're told that he fashioned it with a tool and made it and said, these are your gods that brought you up out of Egypt. Well, they couldn't possibly be the gods that brought them up out of Egypt. They didn't exist until just about two seconds ago. And, and in fact, before that, those gods were my earrings. But in a pinch, we're willing to sp- suspend disbelief because we psychologically and emotionally needed that. So, and we can do the same thing. We can make a God out of anything. I mean, it's just it's that simple. But, but it, it's, God's people are always taken into these places. The disciples didn't know, right? Disciples had no earthly idea what to do. They had left their, their jobs and their families. They had, they had left their nets behind and all that, and they'd followed Jesus into kind of a liminal future. But, what they, but, but they had an opinion about what that liminal future would look like, right? I mean, he's the Messiah. We're going to be sitting at his right hand and his left hand. We know that's what they thought because they said it. So here they go, and they're willing to do this because they have a pretty good idea what the end of this will be. And so along the way, they're disciples, and then they become apostles. But but along the way, they're becoming something in this season of time than there was Jesus. But then Jesus dies, he's resurrected, but he's not there all the time. They don't know what to do, right? They don't know what the future is going to look like now. So what do they do? They go fishing. They go back to the old normal until Jesus finally calls them out, gives them a mission, and tells them what to do. But, but we, we need constantly, we, we have this need to know, and if we don't know, then we go back to what we already know. We don't like the discomfort of being in a liminal space. Well, the problem we have in this world is COVID put the entire world into a liminal space all at the same time. 
and people lived in fear and and we were we talked a lot about the new normal but nobody knew what the new normal would look like and so some people wanted to go back to the old normal and so some though have settled into the new normals from the pandemic period and they're living in fear i, I know several people who barely leave the house two and a half years later because they're living in so much fear. I know plenty of people that lived in fear for a year and pretty much didn't leave the house, didn't go anywhere, didn't do anything, didn't see any other people. Well, it, it, it's not a healthy way to live. It's not the way we were intended to live. We were intended to live in community with others. We were intended for contact with others. But I get it. I do. I get it. I get the beginning of it. I don't get it now, but I got it then. That why people might live in a certain kind of fear because we were sold a lot of fear. And people died. And it was bad. It's not the same now. It's not the same. And we need to move forward. We need to be able to live today. Rather than continuing to, to fret about the old normal or the new normal, live today. Do normal things. Just exactly like he told the exiles in Babylon. Do normal things. Live lives. Don't decrease. Increase the whole time that you're there. And, and the thing is, is that, that it's, it's what the whole Bible tells us, right? Is that we, we don't live in that kind of a world that, that's reliable and stable and all that kind of stuff. But we have some theological principles that should allow us to navigate all this mess without fear. We believe in the omniscience, omnipotence, and omnipresence of God. We believe that God has... Um, he knows all things. Nothing comes as a surprise to him. That's the reason he tells him, I sent you into exile. We know that he knows these things. And if he knows these things, then they didn't come as a surprise to him, and he's not having to react. We know that he's omnipotent. He can do anything that he proposes to do. And we know that he's omnipresent, that wherever we are, even if we're in exile, he's there too. So we know two important theological principles, and that is we, we not only have a good God, we have a great God. That's the reason Paul can say this. And we know that for all those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. So we know that God is good and that whatever happens is good and is working together for good. But we also know, 10 verses later, nothing can separate us from the love of the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord because he is great as well. Nothing can separate us from him. Nothing has the power to do that except, well, us. We can choose to go apart from God. And, and so we know these things, right? So we know these things are true. We, we have no reason to live in fear of death because he's already conquered death. So what example, I mean, what, what do we do? How then do we live and the answer is, it, it, you can find it in Rodney Stark's book about the rise of Christianity and, and how Christianity became the dominant uh, religion in the world and became the dominant worldview in the world and how it shaped and changed the world. And, and so how did, how did that happen? Rodney Stark is a, so, a professor at Baylor University. He's retired now, but he was uh, a professor of sociology of religions. He was not a Christian. He's a deist. He believes there's a God. But he's not willing to say that I believe Jesus is the incarnate Son of God, the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man comes to the Father but by him. So Rodney Stark did, did an investigation and said, what is it that allowed this? And, and the problem was, in, in that world, it was far more chaotic than the world we live in now. Um, that it, 
he says Christianity, because there were epidemics and earthquakes and these famines and plagues and uh, it, everything was chaotic. The fall of the Roman Empire, then, you know, everything, where are all these people coming from? The Vandals, the Goths, the Visigoths, all these people. So it dis- disrupted the entire empire. And Stark says that Christianity had offered a much more satisfactory account of why these terrible times had fallen upon humanity. And it projected a hopeful, even enthusiastic portrait of the future. Why did these terrible things happen to humanity? Well, because of the fall, because we're sinful human beings, not because God is doing these things. No, or the gods, as the Romans and the Greeks would say. No, no, it's because of us. And we know that ultimately God will reconcile all things to himself. and There will be a recapitulation of all things, and the original good creation will be restored, but with a perfected humanity, perfected through the blood of Christ. And then he says, furthermore, the massive numbers of those who died disrupted the normal social bonds that would have attached people to their families and their neighbors because Christians were more likely to survive the plagues. Pagans found new friendships with Christians whose faith would have been appealing in the midst of such turmoil. They were there. <laughs> I mean, they, they just lived through the plagues, but they didn't just live through the plagues. They did more than that. They served those who were dying and those who were sick. They served them. And so if those people got well, they tended to embrace the religion of those who served without fear and served in love. And so that's the, the, the main thing. But he says life in the city was one of disease, misery, and fear, which provided Christians with the opportunity not only to imagine a better world in the distant future, but also solutions for present-day problems. So we're not so, so heavenly-minded, we're no earthly good. No, we're trying to bring the kingdom of God onto this earth. The Christian teaching that God loves those who love him was also not anywhere in pagan belief. It's alien completely to that belief. They didn't believe they didn't believe that at all. They, they believed in if I do this for him, he'll do that, that for me. Uh, Aristotle taught that that a god, if there was such a thing, couldn't feel love in response to that was offered to him. The Christian story tells us a very different, Judeo-Christian story really, tells us a completely different story. And the, the idea that because God loves humanity, we must also love humanity was anathema in the pagan world. And then finally, the, the big thing that was anathema in the pagan world, the idea of mercy. In fact, mercy was seen as a character defect, but it because it provides unearned help or relief. It was deemed contrary to justice and therefore irrational. Pity was considered in the same exact way. It's a vice. And it was thought to be based on impulsiveness. And Christianity says that, no, we're God's image bearers on earth, and therefore we seek to mimic his moral attributes, chief of which are mercy and pity. So, So what is my prescription? Live a normal Christian life. Live a normal Christian life. Don't live in fear. Don't live in doubt. No, God's in charge. Absolutely be certain of that, that he's in charge, and therefore nothing, there's nothing man can do to me. Nothing escapes God. Nothing comes as a surprise to God. Therefore, he calls us to be his image bearers to the world, and the world needs to see a fearless church, but not just fearless, a church that actually loves the world in the way that God loves the world. And we are his hands and his feet in this world. 
it's not time to hide, Christians. It's not time to hide, church. It's, it's time to show the world what faith looks like. Because faith's the opposite of fear. And then because we have that faith, then we can go and serve others without allowing fear to control our lives. We, we are to be the hands and feet of Jesus. We are to be the community that defines what community looks like. It, we need one another. We need him. But more than that, the world needs us to be that Christian community, just exactly like the world needed the Christian community in the third and fourth centuries when Christianity changed the world. Maybe we have the opportunity to do the same.